Welcome to another episode of the Zach Hiley Show. Today, I have the honor of being with Dr. Rohan Soroya. So Dr. Rohan Soroya is a family medicine doctor currently practicing family medicine and sleep medicine. He completed his residency at Drexel University and moved to Jefferson and completed a one-year fellowship in sleep medicine. So he is board certified in both and is practicing 80-20% in family medicine and sleep medicine, respectively. He still lives in Philly, but is working in central Delaware at Bay Health. Dr. Soria is regularly elected as a top teacher. In fact, when searching for an attending doctor to speak to in regards to family medicine, Dr. Soroya was, no joke, 90% of the time the person they said, you gotta speak to this guy. So I'm so happy to have you. Welcome, Dr. Soroya. Zach, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me onto your podcast. This Thanks is so wonderful. much. Thanks so much for coming. So the way we start, we go into statistics around family medicine, and then I see if you have any inputs, insights into those statistics. So let's get into it. The median attending physician salary across the U.S., median, keep in mind, is 339000 while family medicine is 243000 The average hours worked per week across attendings across America is 51 hours, while family medicine is 52 hours. 59% of all U.S. attendings are happy compared to 58% of all family medicine attendings. 47% burnout on average across America compared to family medicine at 51%. When asked attendings in America, would you choose the same specialty again? 41% of all physicians said they would choose the same career again with, unfortunately, but not so unfortunately, because internal medicine is the worst performer here, which is what I want to go into. You scored 25%. Family medicine was the second worst performer at 32%. Step two score average is 246, with family medicine being 236. So any stand, any statistics stand out to you? Any thoughts, insights into those? I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, I think a big part of medicine is a lot of salary is based on, ultimately, the currency of reimbursements, RVUs. Anything uh, procedure-based is going to generate more revenue. So as a family physician, as an internal medicine physician, if you start to do more procedures, your RVUs will go up, your salary will rise. Um, that's the reason why endocrine typically makes maybe even a little bit less than a typical mm. internal medicine physician. Um, but those numbers do seem um, pretty uh, spot on. Uh, I was talking to a colleague of mine who's actually a former medical director out in, um, in Washington State uh, before he came back to Delaware. Yeah. And he's just kind of noticed over the last four or five years out of all the specialties, though, in fields, in his opinion, family medicine and primary care as a whole, that's the area where salaries are starting to rise. Mm -hmm. And that's what the industry, the healthcare industry is going to have to do to do a better job of recruiting yeah. primary care. Yeah, no, definitely. And I see those things across America. I mean, you get these things like we need more family medicine docs. We don't have enough docs recruiting across everywhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a real dearth, I think, actually, of these primary care physicians in certain areas. It um, It's it's wild. Whenever we start at Bay Health, they take us around to meet the specialists. And yeah. the specialists are so enthusiastic yeah. to see new primaries because wow. they're just looking. They, they Their patients come in. I have cardiologists that tell us, hey, why are we managing their metformin or their their patient wants somebody to fill their Lexapro? Yeah. They don't want to do it. It's not in their scope of practice. Yeah. So I know um, in, in central Delaware, wait times for primary care are uh, the numbers mind-boggling. How long people really wait. like how long if someone wants to be a new <clears throat> patient of yours, how long might they have to wait? It's a good question. They've made access a priority, Dan. Where I am okay, right now, got so it. they are in the works of changing things around but you know even six seven months ago wow. it was no it was a few months okay. back it was we were looking at like we weren't even we were adding people to a list 
And we were just like, we'll call you when we get a chance. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's crazy because the first thing you said, I mean, I, I was doing my internal medicine rounds and stuff like that in the hospital. And some of the first things you say when you're speaking to patients is, you know, who's your primary care doctor? Do you have a primary care doctor? Can we get you set up? And I remember, I've as the third year or fourth year medical student, I'm calling... I'd probably call in four or five places for a single patient. And they're all like, okay. Uh, and this is a sick person, right? This yeah. is a person who's inpatient <clears throat> in the hospital for five days. And they're like, um, and this is, I would think this was sometime in, say, October, right? And they're like, yeah, we can see them like March of 2023. I'm like, what? <laughs> March of 2020? Like this person yeah. like nearly died like a two days ago and you're going to see him. So it's crazy. It's crazy. It, it is. And I think the big problem is that we can keep adding patients to our panel. Yeah. But the problem is, do you want to provide quality or do you want to provide quantity? Yeah. Um, we've been told that the standard family medicine um, panel is about 1,800 patients. Um, fortunately, my institution, their their emphasis is quality. So they're trying to have us at about 1,500 each. But but it comes... Yeah, and that's that's lower than the industry standard apparently. But but again, it comes down to: Do you want to be able to? The other problem is if you have too many patients on your panel, patients are like, well, they can't get in to see you anyways, yeah. and they're going to go to urgent care. Yeah, so that's a big uh, factor so in there. People doing urgent care. Yeah. I mean, even even friends and relatives who moved into Philadelphia and they haven't been in Philadelphia. They're looking at wait times forever to see a primary care doctor, so they go to urgent care. And it's, yeah. it's a cost both ways, right? I think it's a cost not only on the patient, but the cost of an urgent care visit to the whatever, the provider of the urgent care is more than a regular PCP visit. My opinion is that I think, you know, one of the things you hit the nail on the head was burnout's a little higher in primary care yeah. than other, other professions. So even peers of mine have gone into urgent care or were practicing uh, friends I know yeah. they've got a friend a family member who's practicing for 10 or 15 years and ultimately went into urgent care the nice thing about urgent care is there's not the continuity you don't have to worry about paperwork yeah. FMLA forms disability um, ultimately they can kind of say follow up your primary yeah. on it and uh, because you're not dealing with three four five six problems in a visit um, you're seeing more patients in a day, which actually generates more revenue. Yeah, so wow. it actually makes sense from a point of view of you're increasing your income potential yeah. to go into that. Yeah, no, that's that that's that's <clears throat> just crazy. So let's 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 step back here. Because I don't even know what family medicine is. Yeah. Tell me, what is family medicine? Family medicine, in my point of view, is really what you want to make it to be. You know, in my office, there's four of us, and we all practice differently. You know, the typical thing with family medicine is you're practicing womb to tomb. You're seeing newborns, you're seeing toddlers, you're seeing kids as they grow up, teenagers that are getting fights with mom and dad, kids when they go to college, um, and, you know, obviously all adults until people are end of life. We get to have the conversation about um, goals of care. You know, we can help transfer patients to hospice and palliative down the road. So really, it's all aspects of medicine. It really comes down to if you want to do women's health. I have friends I have that do endometrial biopsies. For me, that scares up. The, the thought of doing that <laughs> makes my blood pressure rise. But patients love that. I mean, I'll do pap smears. But I have, uh, in, my, in my clinic, one of my partners, she does... Um, IUDs and explanons. I've done that since residency. You know, you can manage psychiatric conditions. Um, there's family doctors that don't want to touch it at all. Some people mm -hmm. start patient on an SSRI. I'll put somebody on an SSRI in two or three before I try and punt it off to psychiatry. Uh, so it's really what you want to make it to be. If you want to do procedural things, you want to do cortisone shots, you want to do biopsies, you can do uh, epidermal cysts, you know, um, bio biopsies. It's really what you want to make it to be. And that's one of the things that really drew me to family medicine is if you're a surgeon, 
you're 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 kind of pigeonholed what you can kind of do. The one thing I always thought boggled my mind in med school was I had friends who'd be like, well, family medicine, that's so boring. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? Family medicine, you do whatever you want. You really can. So I think um, the simple answer is family medicine is what you want to make of it. Yeah, no, that's like, that's really interesting because I think, and one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is for an answer like this, right? Yeah. Because first year of med school, I think family medicine and I think, okay, outpatient office, doctor comes in for your well visits and maybe if you have the occasional cold or chest infection or something like that, but you can do much, much more than that. Can you tell me just a little bit more like what, I could do like, are there, is there a fellowship? Are there more specializations Absolutely. after family medicine? So, um, and also on top of that, yeah. obviously there are a lot of family doctors that do inpatient care. Yeah. Um, it seems that less of us are doing that, but it is an option. I have friends of mine, at least two or three of them from my class. So about half of my class does inpatient part-time. Wow. You have the opportunity to do fellowships if you'd like, you know, uh, from, from family medicine, obviously family and internal, there's a lot of overlap. As a family medicine resident, you're not going to go into cardiology or pulmonology. So that's one big thing that people have to be mindful of mm -hmm. when they're picking their program. There is a guy I know that decided to do family medicine thinking he could get into pulmonology. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, he had to take a step back and, and reapply a year later. So um, <clears throat> but in terms of fellowships, I mean, the common ones that a lot of family medicine residents go into would be hospice and palliative. Mm -hmm. A lot of people go into sports medicine. Mm -hmm. um, I did sleep medicine, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm very happy with. Um, I know when I interviewed at UPMC, they had an HIV um, track that some folks okay. went into. Because, I mean, just the thought of managing HIV. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I can even pronounce antivirals, right? So, <laughs> Avir, that's all uh, I know. They all end in Avir, right? <laughs> so uh, those are some of the common ones. I know there are some family medicine doctors that do emergency medicine. Um, I don't think as a family medicine trainee, you can work in a, a level one hospital that does trauma and gunshot wounds. But uh, in my facility, there is an ER on the first floor of my building, I think, half of the doctors are family medicine trained. There are family medicine fellowships in emergency medicine. Mm. So there is a lot of flexibility. Yeah. There really is. There's there really tons, is. It seems like there's tons of different things you can do. Absolutely. That's amazing. So why, it sounds like you're telling me why you were drawn to it, but when did you make the decision for family medicine? I think I, I was leaning towards it before I even got into medical really? school. Um, and I didn't know I wanted to go into medicine until actually really after college. Um, my family doctor, she, when, when my parents, well, my dad came to Canada with his parents, they were all her patients. Mm. So when my grandparents passed away, she actually came to their funerals. Wow. She delivered me. Wow. So I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, she took care of the whole family. When she kind of winded down and she stopped practicing five days a week, but she would do something where she had clinic and actually one of the living, one of the bed, uh, rooms in her house. She gave, I think, 15 to 20% of her panel, people she really knew and trusted um, access to that. Wow. And I remember going to her house for some primary care stuff. Hey, uh, whatever it was, like knee pain as a, like a 16 year old kid. Um, so I think that's kind of cool. I think that's really to cool. To her house you went? To her house. Granted, I mean, she lived in our neighbor, so yeah, it wasn't yeah. a big bit of a yeah. trek, but, um, and, and that's not the norm. You don't yeah, see that yeah, by yeah, any yeah, means. Yeah. But um, I really thought that was kind of cool that, uh, you know, she knew three generations of my family. And, 
you know, my, my parents knew her kids and uh, it, it was pretty cool to kind of see. And I think what I really like is developing those relationships. Yeah. You know, yeah. you get to see, now I've been in attending for a little over two years, but um, even in those two years, and even thinking back to residency as an yeah. intern, seeing a newborn baby and then literally as I was about to graduate, the kid's like two and a half, almost three years old. And mom's like, can I come with you to Jeff? Which I thought was really cool. And That's I was sweet. like, if you're... Uh, if little, uh, I'm not going to say her name, yeah. you know, if she's having sleep issues, yeah. sure. But Melissa. Yeah, Melissa. Melissa's having problems. She yeah. comes. But uh, it, it was really cool to see that patients, even as a resident, valued the care that you provided them and wanted to come with you to the next place. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Fantastic. And and was there any change of thought during medical school? It was like you came in family medicine and all throughout, you know, you did your surgical rotation, did your psychiatry rotation, you know, always the path was clear for you. No, that's a good question. Um, I think at one point, to be honest, my first rotation as a medical student yeah. was family medicine. Uh -huh. It wasn't a good rotation. Mm -hmm. The attending, he practiced a little bit uh, outside of things I would probably do. Gotcha. Um, and a lot of our friends felt the same way. I see. And then conversely, the, the second rotation I was pediatrics. And... That was an unbelievable rotation. In a good uh, way. In a great way. Mm. The main attending we had, he was actually, I think now he's the medical director of the hospital in wow. Chicago. Um, Dr. L I can't, Romani, I think his name is. Levine, Levine, I can't remember. Sorry, it's been, no, it's been, it's been yeah, yeah, long yeah. enough. But um, he really made us all want to go into pediatrics. Wow. And then I think as I, uh, I don't think you guys have CS anymore, right? Yeah, clinical skills? Yeah. yeah. We do clinical oh, do still, skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a step? Oh, for step? No, no. That okay. test is gone. That, uh, that yeah. test disappeared two, three years ago. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, I remember shortly after we finished CS, I think I was like, well, I don't want to give up on family med. And so I made sure I did two more electives in family, sabai, and uh, also in peds. And then conversely, it was the other way around. It yeah. was the peds rotation was awful and the family was great. So I think... I went with my gut. Yeah. And I knew that at the end of the day, family has more flexibility. Yeah. And if I wanted to focus on peds, I'm sure I could. Yeah. So um, that's where, you know, I applied. And, I, you know, Drexel was actually my number one. I was wow. thrilled that I matched there. Awesome. My phone went off in the interview, and I was like, oh, God, I'm never going to match here. <laughs> I still remember, and I joke about it, my program director, who I still keep in touch with periodically. But uh, I remember my phone goes off. It was on vibrate. Um, oh, no. But it was like, you know, you're in a sad yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking down at my pocket, trying to slip my hand in. I watch his eyes follow my hand there. Uh, but no, family medicine is great. It really yeah. is. No, that's fantastic. And I want to delve a little bit deeper onto the decision because it seems like scary for me as a medical student. My decision of what my life is going to be can be affected so greatly by the interactions I have with my superiors. I'm just wondering how you made, you told yourself and convinced yourself that, you know, family medicine is for me, even though you had those bad experiences of it. Because some people would have those bad experiences and be like, oh, this is family medicine. I'm not going to do family medicine because that's what it is. I think making sure you talk to your peers, your colleagues, because yeah. some of them rotated with other people that were better experiences. Um, a very good friend of mine um, who's practicing emergency medicine, he rotated with a different uh, attending and had a night and day difference compared wow. to my experience. And he was like, listen, you just got to get in with this doctor. Um, so <clears throat> utilize your friends, their resources for you. 
um, your people at your at your medical school to really talk about, hey, what else can we do to get yeah. this kind of experience? Um, because anything in life, it doesn't matter what you do. Think of your professional athlete. You go to a wrong team, right? Does that mean you don't want to play football anymore? Mm. So um, it's really trying to figure out what can you do to get the experiences that's going to sell you on this or not. Yeah, yeah. So don't give up after the Absolutely. first. Yeah, especially if you dreamed about it and had such a yeah. good experience. And think about it. If you want to do cardiology and you're like, I got to get through internal medicine, you hate yeah. your internal medicine rotation as a medical student, it doesn't mean that all internal medicine yeah. rotations are going to be awful, right? Yeah. Again, take the opportunity to sub by somewhere else. Mix yeah. it up a little bit. Yeah, no, yeah. That's, a, that's a great answer. So you go through medical school, family medicine, family medicine, and you match to Drexel, yep. thankfully. Yep. What's residency like? Residency. So you finish medical school. You think you know everything. Exactly. I, feel, I think I know everything right now. Your first night, you're on the floors, on oh, the wards. God. The nurse pages you. And I remember my first night, and actually my last day of residency, I went and found the nurse that I worked with that night. I went and gave her a hug. She, she just kind of set me straight. Uh, but that that first night, I remember a patient who's in for whatever they were in for, and their chart showed the history of opioid abuse mm -hmm. and is found unresponsive on the floor. 15th floor Hahnemann University Hospital. I still remember. I will never forget it. And I'm just like, oh, crap. What do I do? Do I call my senior? And she just comes over and, you know, not all nurses are like that, yeah. but also not all nurses are bad because that's the reputation sometimes we hear. Um, yes. But this one particular nurse, she's such a sweetheart. She goes, do you think we want to maybe order some naloxone? And I was like, <laughs> yes, I think we should. <laughs> How do I put it in the computer? And she went and got the medication out. She showed me how to put it and patient was taken care of. Um, but I remember my last couple of days of residency. Again, family medicine, you're not in the hospital all the time. Yeah. I went and found her on the floor, gave her a hug. And I was just like, thank you for really just kind of, yeah. You saved me and the patient. You saved me and the patient. Um, so again, just shows the value that good nursing brings to, to healthcare. Yeah. Um, even on the floors, your yeah. first couple of nights, you're like, patients in pain. Do I call my senior to ask if I give him Tylenol? You can give Tylenol to almost anybody. Um, so it's definitely nerve wracking. Um, there's somewhere in your first year of residency, usually in the second half, where things just kind of click. And I've talked about that with my uh, my attendings when I was a resident, because even when you become a senior resident, yeah. second year, third year, you're like, oh my God, this intern doesn't know anything. Mm. But you see it at some point in the second half, the first year, just things click. The You need this... We all went through medical school. You graduated. You matched into residency. We all have the knowledge. It's just the confidence, the experience to getting to the point where you're comfortable doing things, not second-guessing yourself. So it's uh, it's definitely an experience, but uh, you feel better once you kind of get that comfort level down. Yeah, yeah. And and so you said you're not only on the floors. Where as residency, I'm, I'm assuming you're in the outpatient office. Correct. Are you are you anywhere else? Correct. So family medicine. Um, with family medicine, the rule is that you have to have like a central home based clinic. Mm -hmm. um, for us, at Drexel's Maniunk. Um, and I believe over the course of your residency, you have to see and. and don't quote me on this. Yeah. It might have changed. At the time, it was like sixteen or 1,700 patients wow. over three years. Um, so a good chunk of family medicine is going to be in the outpatient setting. I see. We definitely had to do inpatient. I think when I did it, we did a total of six months. Mm. You did three months as an intern, two as a second year, one as a third year. And then plus, you know, weekends and night floor. Yeah. But that's when you were on the service. Um 
But obviously, you know, they want us to know a little bit of everything. So you're while you're in clinic, you're you're not on a dedicated outpatient clinic month. You're on whatever rotation and one, yeah. two, three days a week, you're also seeing your continuity patients. Yeah. So, you know, we would do obviously geriatrics, uh, rheumatology, cards, palm, GI, nephro. You have to go through all of those, mm -hmm. urology. Um, there are certain ones that just, it doesn't matter where you go, ACG, yeah. me rules, you got to have them down. Yeah. Pediatrics, emergency medicine. So um, the wild card is electives. And I think probably compared to other things, we didn't get as many. So you kind of have to be particular about when you choose your elective because that yeah. does guide you yeah. what you want to do later in life. Because I used my elective for urgent care before I knew I wanted to do sleep. Mm, so trying to figure out where do I get an opportunity yeah. to impress the sleep doctors was a bit of a challenge. <laughs> no, yeah. I see what you mean. And was it very tough residency? Was it not as tough as you thought? It's, in hindsight... You, I mean, you come out stronger than ever, but yeah. it, in the moments, it was tough. Yeah. It was definitely very yeah. tough. There's nights that you come home, you know, um, I think every doctor, every resident will say there was an attending, another student, a nurse that showed you up. There's nights that you come home feeling very deflated, mm -hmm. like, am I cut out for this? Yeah. Um, and I think anybody that says that's not true is probably suppressing that memory yeah. because we all go through it, yeah. right? At the end of the day. So um, it was a challenge. It definitely was. But at yeah. the end of the day, like anything else, you want to be a star quarterback, you got to get through challenges, right? Yeah. Listen, Tom Brady throws interceptions, right? <laughs> LeBron James misses a ton of shots, yeah. right? So, um, you know, Wayne Gretzky said you miss 100% of shots. You don't yeah. take. You have to make the effort. You got to take that little leap of uh, faith and accept the challenge at what medicine yeah. is. How do you get over those times when someone just destroys you in the hospital. Happy hour with your friends. Got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, it comes down to, and I, you know, I saw in my program, and not that we had many residents yeah. leave our program, but in, even in other programs, yeah. some people just couldn't handle it. Yeah. And uh, it's unfortunate, you know, um, and I think some of them probably could have helped, you know, dealt with a little differently. And one thing is this, I don't think any attendee goes into academia for the glory. I mean, yeah. they're usually paid less to yeah, go yeah. into that. So I think at the end of the day, you got to understand they mean well. Yeah. They're trying to shape you to be a better physician, right? Yeah. At the end of the day. So at the same time, our parents, I'm sure they yelled at us at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they meant well for us. It's the, uh, it's, exactly. So it's the same sort of principle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And then when during this residency did you become interested in sleep medicine? It's a great question. So I was on my gynecology rotation. And that's I had an interesting done, place to be um, <laughs> <laughs> I had done enough pap smears. And uh, I think I saw an ad somewhere in an email for yeah. like Jefferson had a sleep symposium. So basically a conference. And we had a couple of days, if you put in enough notice and, you know, it was approved to go to these things. And I thought to myself, hey, why don't I go to the symposium? It's a 10-minute walk from where I live. And if I like it, great. If I don't, I'll just duck it halfway through. Mm -hmm. And I got in there. And I was just, I was expecting the room to be a bunch of pulmonologists and urologists. Mm -hmm. um, there was a mix of, obviously, they were in their primary psychiatry, mm -hmm. ENT. I couldn't believe how many dentists, ENT. yeah. I couldn't believe how many dentists were in there. So, um you know, I remember I went and talked to a couple of the attendings after who ended up being my attendings down the road wow. a year and a half later. Um, and just really got to try and understand what to sleep entail. Yeah. I was, I think I mentioned, um, I'd burned my elective for the year. Yeah. And I think I was an ophthalmology. I mean, how much 
are we going to do an ophthalmology as a yeah. family medicine resident? So my PD, my program director, was kind enough to let me take a couple of days to actually go spend yeah. time with the Drexel Sleep people. And I loved it. Wow. I really did. Um, you know, at the end of the day, cardiology just helps people stop smoking, yeah. lose weight, right? Yeah. So, But most people come to their sleep doctor. If they actually are compliant with their treatment plans, yeah. they love their sleep doctors because yeah. they feel better. You know, we spend a third of our life asleep. Um, we got to do it properly. Yeah. So if we're able to fix their insomnia, get their uh, sleep apnea under control, yeah. it's very rewarding. Yeah. It really is. Um, so that's what kind of led me down that path. Yeah. What is sleep medicine? Is it just, when I think of it, and this is something I actually don't know much about, I think of just someone who can't sleep. They yeah. go to your, to you. is that pretty much? That's that's fair. I would yeah. say, but the, the bulk of it is probably more obstructive sleep apnea. I see, okay. So, yeah, so, um, and sleep is relatively a newer subspecialty, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's been maybe 20, 25 years. Yeah. So, um, if you think of an endocrinologist, the bulk of their care is like diabetes, right? So uh, probably 80% of us it, uh, is obstructive sleep apnea. Wow. Okay. So making the diagnosis, scoring sleep studies, uh, ordering their CPAPs, managing them, adjusting the pressure settings, wow. that makes the bulk of it. Uh, insomnia is probably number two. That probably counts for about 15%. The rest is a mix of narcolepsy. Mm -hmm. It's not super common, but it's actually, you know, the one thing I remember doing a presentation, Grand Rounds at Jeff April of 20 um, <clears throat> on narcolepsy. And I think there was a slide I saw. There's actually as many people have narcolepsy as multiple sclerosis. But how much do we learn about MS? Well, narcolepsy goes undiagnosed for many, many years, wow. right? So um, it's, there's similar numbers, but we learn so much about MS, but about not about narcolepsy, yeah. yeah. So it's not always the... You fall asleep yeah. the cataplexy. Yeah. But uh, but anywho, yeah, so the rest would be a mix of that. Restless leg syndrome uh, is a big one. And then there's weird parasomnias where people are sleepwalking, eating in their sleep. I've seen a couple of people actually engaging in intercourse during sleep. What? Yeah, yeah. That's so insane. it really is. So um, those are those are the big things in sleep medicine. Wow, that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. And so what is the fellowship like for sleep medicine? It, uh, I, I really loved it. Yeah. Um, and my wife actually jokes about it to this day that she was like, man, I wish you could stay on that salary <laughs> and just th th that lifestyle. She's like, yeah. I was the happiest when I was a sleep fellow. So um, the bulk of it is, and, and it really depends on where you go. Yeah. Um, I did mine at Jeff. Yeah. It was a fantastic experience. Yeah. I speak so highly of it. Yeah. I uh, really loved my time there. But you'd spend, I think, three, three or four half sessions a week in clinic with the attendings. Um, you'd score your sleep studies. Yeah. There was research opportunities. The minimum it was expected you needed a poster and a quality improvement. Um, our rotations were going down into Moore's for pediatric sleep. Um, pediatric spent, sleep? What yeah. is that? Is that just, is that, what is that? So, or what there, do you see, there, I guess? There is sleep apnea there too. Really? Yeah. So, uh, the one thing I was always remember from my fellowship was kids shouldn't snore. If a kid snores, you've got to probably think I regularly yeah. sleep apnea. Um, usually it's that their tonsils are too big. Yeah. Um, but certainly if they have certain medical conditions such as um, Down syndrome, mm -hmm. achondroplasia, those are conditions that are not very common by yeah. any means. You're going to see mainly at uh, pediatric hospitals. Yeah. But those conditions do predispose children to sleep apnea. Wow. So the, if, a, if a kid's got sleep apnea, usually it's because they're on the heavier side, just mm -hmm. like an adult, mm -hmm. or their tonsils are a little bigger. I see. Yeah. yeah. Insomnia is another big one. Yeah. Um, Nemours has a great program with their um, therapists or psychologists for sleep uh -huh. where 
really just sitting in that room, like, you know, a lot of parents have that instinct. My kids cry, let me pick them up yeah. and kind of cuddle them back to sleep. Yeah. But then the baby wakes up and you're gone. So they're yeah, like, yeah. hey, where'd you go? Yeah. They start crying again. So it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Obviously, uh, compared to adults, there's going to be a lot less of it. Yeah. But there is definitely elements of that yeah, there, too. Yeah, yeah, this is And this yeah. is a random question. And feel free Please. to say, no, it's just a, yeah. <clears throat> I've heard this when I was on a pediatric rotation and then another pediatrician went the other way. Melatonin in kids. I've heard differing viewpoints on this, and I don't know if you have one because I've heard it can inf- interfere with hormones at a certain dosage or something like that. But some some kids and some of the pediatricians, we don't want them to get dependent on the melatonin. What is your opinion? And again, say whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, that's that's a fair question. I I'm gonna kind of my answer is gonna be I don't really know to be honest. Got it. Okay. I don't know. I think it makes sense that. It's better not to have most kids yeah. on chronic medications or yeah. supplements anyways. Yeah, I see. The ultimate problem is why are they having issues of sleep? It's mm. probably behavior more than anything. I see. I think it's reasonable, in my opinion, if you're using for a couple of days, you're traveling. Yeah. You just need the kids to go to sleep because you got a wedding the next yeah. day. You need to get them yeah. up, get them ready. Um, <clears throat> I'm of the opinion that ultimately it's behavioral yeah, most I of the see. time. I see. And it's also the truth with adults, right? Yeah. I mean, the biggest, um, the best treatment more than a pill like Ambien is cognitive behavior therapy yeah the problem is there's just not enough of them out there yeah but kids really shouldn't be having insomnia and the mm-hmm. biggest thing is when you talk to their parents start tv in the in the bedroom they're like well yeah how else are we gonna play their playstation i'm like let's take the, the tv out of the bedroom yeah. is the first thing your kids probably wake up in the middle of the night to play wow. with the playstation um all electronics they shouldn't have their phones yeah. in there their computers tablets right that's usually the biggest one keep the room at a nice cool temperature it's easier to fall asleep yeah. in a blanket when it's 68 degrees in the room yeah. than it is when it's 78 right yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I really think behavioral is much, much better. This is so in- I'm going to jump into this right Please, now. Yeah. I mean, I was wanting to talk about this, yeah. but I wanted to wait, but I'm going to go into it. Please. Cause I, so I do YouTube videos sure. and I talk a lot. I'm starting to do research into sleep and yeah. talk about things like sleep. Can you just tell me, I guess the first thing is, uh, the most common thing you said is sleep apnea, right? Yeah. You see with sleep, yeah. um, around sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. What are the most common mistakes you see people making around sleep hygiene? So... I remember I, t- I just took my sleep boards yeah. about a year ago. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm a little over a year ago. And one of the things was they're like, hey, sleep hygiene actually doesn't help, which I kind of oh. truthfully disagree with. Okay. I personally disagree with. But I think the biggest things are televisions in the room, I cell see. phones, um, a nightcap. At the end of the day, you know, yeah. alcohol does put you to sleep. It's yeah. a central nervous system depressant. But yeah. you know what? When it's, it's out of your system, guess what? Your brain turns right back on. Way. Exactly. So um, I think those are the biggest ones. Caffeine too late in the day. Mm. You know, I um, we just had one of our, our semi-annual doctor meetings. Yeah. And everybody's sipping coffee. I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong with you people? It's like 8 <laughs> o'clock at night. Stop freaking coffee. It's making me angry. Sleep doctors? Meeting? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. this, was, this was at Bay Health. Oh, okay, and it's okay, not okay, a Bay okay. Health thing. Everybody, it, okay. I know I was at Jeff. Yeah, 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 I saw yeah. it too. But, uh, but caffeine, really. We yeah. really shouldn't be having caffeine after like 2 o'clock, yeah, right? Yeah. Based on his half-life. Yeah. Um, Uh-oh. This is not 2 o'clock yet. <laughs> you're I mean, good. Sure. Well, you're, you're having tea. It's not as bad as coffee. So you're, you're good. Um... But a lot of people have a TV in the room that are like, well, yeah. I need it to fall asleep. And I'm like, why? You know, it's actually been shown that having like a white noise machine is better. Yeah, yeah. Um, but those are usually the biggest ones there. Yeah. yeah. So, so step back to the boards. They said sleep hygiene isn't a thing. Is there research that says it doesn't do make a difference? I'm assuming there is. I haven't looked into Got it. it. But it was one of the answers. And I think the answer was cognitive behavioral therapies. But I mean, they were trying to push more towards that, which does help. Yeah. And I don't think... I've ever seen a patient who's actually given an honest effort yeah. fail CVT. I see. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So the first step when someone comes in and, and they tell you, we're going down a rabbit hole here, sure. but I think it's an interesting rabbit hole, so we'll go there. 
when someone tells you they can't sleep, is it eliminate medical maladies and then you go through? Got it. Yeah. So I mean, you know, the sleep hygiene is low. Yeah. It's low hanging fruit. Yeah. Right? That you got to hit that. Yeah. But then I mean, you also want to look up: is there something going on? Anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. right? If your mood is all over the place, yeah. like um, I've got patients that come see me from other family doctors, in my system, and I just put them on like use bar or something yeah, you know or uh-huh. selexa because yeah, i'm wow. like clearly you're 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 more anxious than you are more mm. having sleep issues mm. um so that's usually a big one right there yeah. chronic pain if people mm. are having neuropathy i mean um gabapentin or, yeah. or lyrica i know a lot of doctors don't like that but again if it is fda approved for these yeah. indi- reasons right yeah. um arthritis your arthritis is kicking your butt at night yeah. you know like put them on some balta or something yeah. or like uh you know, I'd rather stay away from my chronic NSAIDs, yeah. but um, but uh, get the underlying problem taken yeah. care of. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah. Has your being a sleep doctor affected your sleep at all and what you do for your sleep? Did you change anything when you go in through fellowship? Yes and no. I remember my co-fellow came over yeah. and with her husband when we moved a few years back yeah. and she saw the TV in our bedroom. Uh, she was just like, why is there a TV in your bedroom? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I think sleep's not been an issue for me. Yeah. I think it's like a lot of us. We always don't practice what we preach. Yeah. You know, my phone's in my room. Yeah. Well, granted, when we're on call, it has yeah. to be, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, our dog sleeps in bed with us. Yeah. And one of the things we say is your dog should not sleep in your bed. Really? Because uh, it keeps you up, I guess? They move. I see. They move is a big one. Um, I mean, the big thing for sleep hygiene is your bed really should be for sleep and sex. Got it. Those are the only two things. Kids shouldn't be in your room. Pets shouldn't be in the room. You shouldn't eat in your bed. You shouldn't yeah. read in your bed. And again, I think ultimately if it's not a problem, it's okay. Yeah. But if it starts to become, those are some yeah. simple things you can fix. I see. And then the, I'm, I'm going to, I don't know when I'll get out of this rabbit Please, hole, but the other okay. thing, sleep trackers. Yeah. Do you, is there is there good evidence for sleep backers or not really? I, I haven't looked at the data recently. Yeah. In the last year or so, I'm not a big fan of them. Got it. Okay. And, you know, I'll use the example of a lot of people use their sleep trackers and like, oh, I have sleep apnea or I slept this much every night. We know when we diagnose a patient with sleep apnea, the gold standard is a polysomnography or PSG, an in-lab sleep study. The home study is usually preferred by insurance companies Mm -hmm. due to cost. It's a tenth of the cost. Mm -hmm. And home studies are not nearly as accurate as the in-lab sleep study which is a piece of medical equipment that is, you know, much more scrutinized than a smartwatch. Yeah. So my opinion is that I think, I'm not saying that they don't work, yeah. but it's the same way we're going to trust an Apple Watch to diagnose atrial fib. You know, yeah. it's a tool. I think it is a tool that is useful in raising alarms or flags that yeah. patients should go see yeah. a sleep doctor, but I would never make a diagnosis based yeah. on that. Yeah, so when someone who you're seriously considering they have some kind of sleep issue, you'll want to get them in for the formal. Correct, or, formal or actigraphy study. or something else like that. Yeah, there's yeah. different sleep uh, tools at our disposal that are a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And do you recommend, like, people, like, say I'm a normal person, mm-hmm. right? I don't have serious sleep, but maybe one weekend out of the month, I, this is going probably too far, the doctor rabbit sure. hole. But what are like common, like earplugs are great things. Yeah. You say like masks, you yeah. say like the white noise machine. Yeah. What have you seen that have had an impact anecdotally on patients? The eye masks are very good. Really? The eye masks are very good. We used to actually have like, I think like a box of 20 of them. Wow. Um, and not all the attendings used them, but they would yeah. give them out. Um, the, uh, they do help block out light, which helps because wow. um, we know light's what sets our circadian yeah. rhythm. Um, there is a device. I can't remember the name of it. It's this thing. It kind of slaps on your forehead, oh. and it's got little this little 
electronic chemical ice thing. It kind of cools your forehead. Whoa. I forget what it's called now. That's and awesome. It's pretty cool. I've I don't I haven't looked at the data behind it. It's like an over the counter thing, or I is it? I think like you a- can buy it without a prescription. But the idea is that it's cooling your prefrontal cortex to kind of shut your mind off. Yeah. And I remember... That's insane. I haven't come across it really much truthfully yeah. since my fellowship. Yeah. But I know that's out there. Yeah. Again, I'm not advocating for or yeah, against yeah, yeah. it, but it's there. Um, but I'm a big fan of the the uh, the night uh, eye masks. Yeah. Um, because I know even for me as a resident, yeah. we are a night float. Like, you know, I... Uh, Unless you have blackout curtains, it's yeah. kind of tough to use that. Yeah. But speaking of which, blackout curtains are helpful. Yeah. Keeping the room cool is helpful. Um, those are some things that definitely do yeah. help. There's yeah. no question. What is too much light? If like I have the bathroom, say, and I just keep the light on yeah. at night in case I want to, is that too, even that's too much light? It's different for everybody. Yeah, got it. Um, but the ones that we do know are, are electronics. Uh, right? They mimic the sunlight. They've yeah. got that same blue wave, blue light wavelength yeah. that the sun, sun emits. And that's, remember, every time we see the sun, it res, it's resetting our, our internal clock. Yeah. It's uh, So basically, when we're using our smartphones yeah. in bed, we're basically using sunlight in our face. Oh, but a little bit of soft light in the background, like a nightlight, shh, probably for the average person, got it's not it. a big deal. It's got okay. But yeah. if you are if you want to minimize chats, turn off that light, great blackout current Correct. as much much as you can. Exactly. Okay. Let's get out of this because sure. I could go here forever and I just find, <laughs> I find sleep really interesting. Yeah. And I think it's becoming more and more interesting kind of, at, I mean, that Matthew Walker book, yeah. all these kind of things, yeah. even though that book got criticism, that's yeah. a whole other thing. That's um, but it's But it's interesting. But let's talk about you a little bit more. Sure. What does your average day look like? Average day, so I start seeing patients around 8.30, yeah. um, you know, 15, 30-minute visits. So in um, our, our last one's around 11.30, 11.45, yeah. lunch for an hour. Honestly, I'd probably work through my lunch. Uh, um, okay. Notes and— Notes, doing paperwork, mm-hmm. chit-chatting with uh, the other doctor in my office. Um, last patient's around 3.45, 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, you know, the 52 hours in a week's probably pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, it's about 10 hours a day, right? I uh, I don't like to bring my work home with me, so mm-hmm. I like to get all my stuff done, which is easier right now because we don't have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is because my commute is is a, we touched about this before we started, but yeah, it's it's almost seventy miles. So yeah. for me, I'm like, hey, just get all my work done, and then by the time I get on the road, there's no traffic. Um, the other thing for me is, I mean, I've got sleep studies in there yeah. as well. I think the biggest thing for family medicine nowadays is. Um, I think a lot of things are like, you know, paperwork. It's yeah. like a lot of things in life. Hey, you want to be a police officer? Well, think about the paperwork. When yeah. you become a doctor, think of the paperwork. Um, FMLA, yeah. I think uh, that's a big one that kicks our butt. Yeah. You know, prior auths. Uh, depending on your office, a lot of places will have their ancillary staff, yeah. their MAs and front staff take care of a lot of those. Yeah. Um, so it's really utilizing your your peers and your coworkers to uh, make things more effective for you. Yeah, yeah. And does that... Schedule look the same across the week, across the month, across the year, pretty much? I would say so. Yeah. Um, it really comes down to, it also makes, you, it also depends how you want to practice with your own personal patient metrics. Right. It doesn't matter what you go into, emergency, yeah. pediatrics, ortho. We all have metrics we got to hit. I'm a little OCD on that. I'm always like, how my metrics be number one? So I think part of that, I probably add an extra 30 to 45 minutes a yeah. day. I'm like, I'm always trying to beat my, my partners, right? Oh, and other other doctors in the office. Um, but generally speaking, it is usually pretty much most of the year like that. The other thing for me is I score sleep studies yeah. versus the other family doctors yeah. don't. So that's extra time on my on my plate. Where do, Yeah, where does this 20% sleep medicine come into your normal practice? So for me, um, the way my practice is set up, so... 
I do Tuesday afternoons, Thursday mornings. Got it. Now, we've just changed our templates around and it's not fully in place, yeah. but that's sort of the plan. So two half days are my sleep. And then, so I'm seeing maybe one or two less patients and that's around the time I'm going to score my studies. Got it. I yeah. see. Okay. And is that normal for a sleep medicine doctor? Do most sleep medicine doctors go full-time sleep medicine or do most kind of do a split between whatever they're, other they're doing? I think most do a split. Got it. Um, I think those who go into academia probably do more sleep. Yeah. Um, you know, the people at Jeff were like that. People at Temple and Penn when I was interviewing were like that. UPMC were like that. Yeah. Cleveland Clinic were like that. Um I know when I was at Drexel, the faculty there, I mean, they've obviously dispersed since Honda yeah. went under, but I think they did 50-50. Yeah. Um, my co-fellow, she does poem, critical care, and sleep. I think she does about 20, 25% mm. sleep. Um, one of my senior residents when I was an intern, he does 100% sleep. Wow. But he also wanted to get into, it didn't matter if it was family yeah. or internal, it was always going to be a stepping stone yeah, towards I sleep. See. So I think most do probably a bit of a mix. Got it, got yeah. it. And I want to jump back quickly because you came from Canada mm -hmm. and you took a visa. And I know a lot of people are trying to practice medicine in the U.S. from other countries. Yeah. Do you have any quick tips or anything? Because I know it's challenging for so, so many people who dream about yeah. and they want to practice medicine in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, uh, I, I'm i Canadian from yeah. Toronto. Um, my wife, who girlfriend at the time, yeah. you know, the plan was we were in stay for residency yeah. and see where we go from there. So um, the the funny thing was, I think I remember I had friends I had like higher step scores then and yeah. they had like three times as many interviews than I wow. did, right? Just because a lot of programs don't offer the visas. Yeah, and again, yeah. it is what it is, right? Yeah. It's more paperwork for the hospital institution. I'm not trying to be critical of yeah. them. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot more paperwork involved. Yeah. So the... Um, the way it works on a J-1, and that's the visa I was on yeah. during residency and fellowship, is that once you're done, the expectation is you're supposed to go to your home country. You can't even go as a Canadian to like Ireland or practice. Like really? The idea is you're supposed to go to Canada. Wow. Uh, or wherever you came from. Yeah. So every state has, um, there's a program it's called the Conrad 30. There's 30 waiver jobs. Oh. One thing I'm a little critical of is the fact that whether you're California or you're Wyoming or Rhode Island, every state gets 30 waiver jobs. Uh. So, exactly. Well, so so what happens is historically the preference has been more towards primary yeah. care. Um, but I think if you decide you want to go that route, whatever your specialty is, if you're yeah. a vascular surgeon, you're a rheumatologist, do your homework. Yeah. Look at the state you want to apply to. Yeah. Understand that the desirable states may be less inclined to take you mm. for that reason. Um, not all states utilize them. I think New Jersey is one that doesn't always use them. But if you think about it, Jersey's like drawing people from New York City and Philly, yeah, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. a smaller state. Yeah. But um, but um, if you do go that route, like myself, yeah. get on top of it. Timing is yeah. key. You want to apply early to make sure you're competitive. Right. There are states that have waiver spots outside yeah. this program. Yeah, Pennsylvania is one of them. Yeah. But uh, there's something called the ARC. I'm not sure. Appalachian, yeah. something, uh -huh. something. Um but those usually don't apply if you work in the city. Got it. So uh, one of my classmates from residence, it's two of them. One is practicing at Geisinger up yeah. by Penn State. And the other is right the upstate PA New York border. Yeah. Um, and she's practicing out there. So those two use that that program. Got it. Yeah. Got it. And so you're an attending now. I and am. you're close from, and it's a good question to ask you because I think you were, you're only been attending for two years. You just finished residency yeah. and fellowship. What is it like to be an attending? Is it that different from a resident? Is it much better? Is the dreams come true? What's it like? <laughs> There's pros and cons to it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, at the end of the day, I remember when I first started and also my end, I did a fellowship for one year. Yeah. So I forgot, you know, I didn't do primary care. Yeah. And I remember one of my first patients had like a positive PPD uh. and we're like, all right, well, get the chest x-ray and I'm up to date. What do yeah. I do? And like <laughs> my, my classmates and I, we still have a, a WhatsApp group. Yeah. That, you know, all of us shoot messages, yeah, pictures, yeah. EKG. Yeah. What do I do in this situation? Yeah. And I'm like, I remember I, they probably wanted to smack me the first month. I was messaging nonstop. And uh, so I think that first month, again, yeah. the knowledge is there. The knowledge is there. It's just, again, it's sort of like when you're a, a brand new intern. Yeah. Right? You know it. You've seen yeah. it. Um, so it's definitely a little bit nerve-wracking. Yeah. You don't have an attending as you're like a safe… responsible, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Your note's on it. There's no yeah. co-attending signing yeah. your note. Um, so it's definitely a different experience. But again, I think like anything else in life, once you start doing it, it's, it's routine. Yeah. It's habit. Um, the pay is obviously nicer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, that's certainly a big part of it where you don't have to worry about loans yeah. and stuff anymore at a certain point. Um, and you can actually afford to eat something yeah. other than ramen noodles. <laughs> so uh, that, that's that's a nice part of it. But I think um, the other thing my that I like about it, the one thing as a, as a trainee, as a resident, yeah. as a fellow, if you have, you know, medicine, there's different ways to do things. There's not one way to skin the cat, yeah. you know? So I remember, you know, as a resident, you've been managing this patient one way and then you have different attending in clinic and yeah. this particular attending is like, well, why are you doing this? I'm like, I've been doing the last seven months with like the other four attendings. Well, I don't want to do this. Right? And, uh, and they change it up. Yeah. Now you're the attending. So yeah. you practice the way you want to do it. That's cool. So that's kind of nice. That's nice. That's nice. So now speaking of pay, I have the magical question. Yeah. If I gave you $100 million, tax-free, do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Canada's not going to come after you. It's all <laughs> yours. You can do with it as you please. You have four options. Okay. Option number one is you continue to work full-time. Sure. Option number two, you switch to part-time. Okay. Option number three, you switch careers entirely and become a professional bowler or something sure. like this, whatever your heart desires. Or option number four, you take you and your girlfriend, your your wife now, yeah. right? Your wife now and you go live on a beach somewhere. Okay. I probably part time. Part time. I think uh, I don't think I could sit at home. Yeah. I yeah. think I would probably do like three half days a week or yeah. four half days a week yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I like you know at the end of the day, medicine's awesome. I really yeah. do enjoy it. There is nothing better than getting somebody who's A one C was like twelve down mm-hmm. to like seven point one. Um, you know, we get people that come in because they were having chronic musculoskeletal mm-hmm. pains and. Again, you slap them on this medicine, they feel better, and you know, just seeing the gratitude in their face. Yeah. It's really rewarding. It really is. That's nice. It really that's is. Really it nice is. To hear. Do you think that's the qu- next question is what is the best thing about family medicine? Is that the best thing? I think that's the best thing. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've got patients who um their blood pressure just got awful. Yeah. And even like uh you know, hey, they're on their third or fourth blood pressure medicine. And I'm not gonna say I see this all the time. Yeah, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. Every now and then I'm like, oh, let's check. Your, your kidneys to see yeah. if you have renal artery stenosis or something. Oh, so geez. just kind of yeah. catching something the specialist yeah. missed, which yeah, is kind of yeah. nice too, yeah. right? No, that's right. Um, or, you know, there, there was one guy who had, um, he's got some hypercoagulable situation yeah. and he was on his NOAC, his like Eloquist or something. Yeah. And I'm like, this still sounds like you have a clot. Let's check a, yeah. a, a, C, a, a CT angiography. And hey, you had a clot. And I'm like, wow. hey, your specialist missed that. So that's always kind of nice. You know? <laughs> yeah. But um, but uh, it, it's rewarding. It really yeah. is, right? There's there's no, um, do a knee injection on somebody and all of a sudden they're like, hey, I can like dance now, you know? Yeah. Like, little things like that. It is rewarding seeing that you're making difference in people's lives, yeah. that they feel physically better, mentally better. They're in a better place with their family members. Uh, it is rewarding. Yeah. It definitely no, is. No, that's amazing. And the counterpoint to that question, of course, is what is the worst thing about family medicine? Paperwork. 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 Yeah. Yeah. My, um, 
And if you ask most family doctors, yeah. I think we'll all kind of, kind of, and primary care, because you know yeah. there's internal medicine that also do primary outpatient care. Um, a lot of the times we feel specialists say, see your primary about it. Yeah. And they dump it on us. Yeah. That's probably the biggest pet peeve for us. Um, there are times I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah. You, you manage this. Like yeah. a patient who had a, a rheumatological, like fibromyalgia flare up, yeah. missed work because they're fibromyalgia. And the rheumatologist is like, well, ask your family doctor to do their FMLA. I was like, mm. No, 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 no. Let's yeah. let's call them up and be like, how about you guys do it? Because you are managing this, yeah, right? Yeah. You can't have your cake and eat it too. That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's a common answer. I think yeah. when you look at when I did this, when I looked at these statistics from some are from AMC and some are from Medscape, they asked also like what is the biggest reason for burnout and the yeah. reason you're feeling this burnout? And it's like bureaucracy. It's Absolutely. like the number one, it's the paperwork Absolutely. and all these things you were saying and Absolutely. stuff like that. How speaking of burnout, have you ever felt burnt out or tired or not tired? we've all felt yeah, tired, but yeah. kind of like you're you're done. There, I'm not gonna lie. There, there was a time. Yeah. Um, there definitely was. I think um, there was a little bit of turnover in our office. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, we should have four or five of us. There's like one or two of you. Wow. Right? At least two of us. Um, I will say, I think the biggest thing to help prevent burnout yeah. is be vocal. Okay, got it. Be vocal. Speak up. You got to speak your mind. Yeah. At the end of the day, um, they need us hospital systems. As yeah. well, right? Yeah. I mean, they can't generate revenue with, yeah. without doctors, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you have to speak up. I think you have to understand there are realistic expectations. We can't yeah. expect that we're, it's going to be an you walk in at 8.30, yeah. you're at the door at 4.30. Yeah. But if there are problems, speak up. And I will say to the credit of my institution, they've yeah. made some great changes yeah. about hiring more staff, more doctors. Um, and they were transparent with us at the time. Yeah. There was some turnover. Um, but I think the biggest thing is you got to advocate for yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> and ultimately, it's you're advocating for your patients. Because if you're yeah. burnt out, you're going to miss something. You're going to yeah. hurt somebody. No, that's an amazing point. And it's a, the first time I've heard this answer, which I'm surprised. Yeah. Um, how do how do you recommend, say you're an attending, yeah. you go about this? Do you reach out to like the the organizer of the office? Do you reach out to the chair of medicine? Yeah. What do you yeah. what do you do? I think every place has uh their hierarchy, how it, it ends up being is I mean, obviously every you know, in our office we've got a supervisor, we have a yeah. practice manager, you have uh, people at the hospital. Um and again, it really depends wherever you are. So yeah. you gotta speak up to uh, again and um I think if you don't get the answers that you expect, then uh, you got to do what you got to do for yourself. Yeah. But um, I've got friends who have advocated and they didn't get the answers that they liked and they moved on. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's important, right? I think you make it the, you make you said it you said it best. You know, it's not only for yourself, which we I think especially as physicians yeah. and people going through the medical career, I don't think we advocate for ourselves no. nearly enough. But then the thing that really matters, right, is patient care, Absolutely. right? And it, it's there's studies after studies of studies that show that it does. It does affect patient it's care. It's number 1 and because if you're not in a good place for yourself, yeah. you're not going to be able to do the, provide the best care you can for your patients. Yeah, yeah That's no, really it's what huge. It is. It's huge. Yeah. Is there anything you wish you knew before going into family medicine? How much paperwork there was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, it's, it, you know, the paperwork's and everything. Even yeah. if you're a surgeon, there's yeah. paperwork. Yeah. You got to dictate your yeah. OR procedures. Um, I think that's something the entire healthcare industry needs to do a better job of. Um, at the end of the day, if we're going to work 10-hour days, I'd rather be seeing patients for yeah. 10 hours. So is there a way for a lot of that paperwork to get put off yeah. of our, our our plates. Again, it doesn't matter what your background is, rheumatology, yeah. cardiology, pulmonology, they, everybody's dealing with it. Yeah. Um, but again, if we're working 52 hours, wouldn't it make more sense for us to spend those 52 hours in patients? And from a financial point of view, that would be generating revenue yeah. for the hospital yeah. at the end of the day. That's a great... And, and again, this is not... 
any one institution. This yeah. is this is a national issue across the board. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh I wonder if someone's going to come up with a solution. I feel like they must, right? But you it'd be think. cool. Hopefully, maybe it could be you or <laughs> me. We'll come up with the solution for no paperwork. I will say I'm being critical of yeah. it, but I will admit I don't have an answer. Yeah, I don't I, have an answer either. Yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. it's it's a uh, but it's uh, one of the most common things I hear when talking to all to all it doctors. Is. Are there any myths about family medicine you want to expunge or any common myths that you hear a lot that you want to be like, listen, guys, this is not true? I always hate the thing that people have that perception, or you guys are like the, the dumb ones. You guys, uh-huh. you couldn't get in especially. Yeah. Again, I, this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. My step score yeah. could have been 275, yeah. and I would have done family medicine. Yeah. Um, some of the smartest people I've come across are, yeah. are primary care, family, internal. Um, yeah. That's always one of those. Yeah. Or, you know, a lot of patients will come in and they're just looking for referrals. I'm like, well, why? Well, yeah. I want to see an endocrinologist. Yeah. yeah, we can manage that, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, You know, you have rheumatoid arthritis. Again, I probably wouldn't do RA, but yeah. uh, somebody else might, right? Yeah. So I think it depends on the person, right? It really depends what you want to do, what you're comfortable with. Um, again, and that's what I love about family medicine. Is yeah. You have that flexibility. Yeah, yeah. And I have the same experience. Some of the smartest people I've met have been family medicine doctors. And also, they're the backbone. They're the people. I think it's such a hard journey. You guys are working the hardest. Yeah. You guys have to manage the coordination, and you really are the primary advocates, the primary yeah. care providers, right, for these patients, for these people. I think a lot of it's we're also the gatekeepers of yeah. cost, right? I think, yeah. you know, a lot of times patients come to us and what the specialist wants to do X, Y, and Z, and we're like, well, why yeah. when this will cost less? Because at the end of the day, one of the other challenges in all of medicine, this is not just primary care, yeah. is keeping costs down. Right? At the end of the day, we're all paying for it, right? Yeah. We are tax, doll- tax dollars for Medicare patients. Um, and if you have commercial insurance, well, if things go up, ultimately all of our rates go yeah. up, right? So. I think uh, that's always another struggle is how can we provide quality care, but at the same time, you have to keep that the, the financial and the cost points, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's an interesting point. The next question I have is about trainees and medical students. All the medical students love you, by the way. I'm sure you've heard this before. But what makes, I guess we can start with medical students, and then you can go to residents or trainees. What makes a really good medical student and what makes a really good resident in family medicine? I think what makes a good student is somebody who shows initiative. Yeah. They challenge you in a good way. Uh-huh. Listen, I mean, at the end of the day, students teach us as much. As, you know, if a student comes in and asks a question, I don't know the answer to it. I got to ask myself, why do I know the answer to this? Is this, I mean, if it's outside of my scope, that's, yeah. that's fine. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to know how to do this on a watching yeah. procedure if somebody yeah. wants to go to interventional cardiology. But, but you know, medicine's constantly changing. Yeah. Um, I mean, think about this. Three years ago, there's no COVID. There's no monkeypox. Yeah. There's all these things that have popped up since, yeah. right? So it's a, always a dynamic uh, feel that's always changing. Um, new meds are on the market. We learn things about old or meds that shouldn't be used yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah, So I think a good student is somebody comes in. They're on time. They're always hungry to learn. I always say, even if it's a ro- rotation you don't want to do. Yeah. If your mind is set on ophthalmology. Yeah. Well, you know, you can still learn something on your gynecology yeah. rotation, right? So what I always say is at the end of the day, I think everybody should leave. And even as an attending, yeah. you should end your day learn, knowing something, knowing one thing more than you did uh, when you started the day. So you're yeah. a little bit smarter. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to go read four hours on how to manage atrial fib. Yeah. You know, like even, you know, take something, put a clinical question, yeah. try to figure out the answer, whether it's you're looking up to date, you're talking to... Uh, a friend, a colleague, or you're attending, yeah. but that's something that does help. Yeah. That definitely does help. Um, and again, I think what also helps set students up for success is if your attending is engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Not all of us are, and that's fair. Not, yeah. some, you know, the other thing we got to be honest: is medical students slow you down. Yeah, you see less patients, yeah. right? If you're gonna if you're gonna provide quality education, yeah. you need to have that time to sit down, and talk. Why do we do this? Why do mm -hmm. we do that? But um, I think as an attending, what you can do to make the experience better for your student is you know pre-chart the next day. Mm -hmm. If there's a knee injection and you want your student to do it, like show them, you know, have them go watch a couple of YouTube videos. Um, and maybe take 15 minutes before yeah. the day starts just to, hey, let's go over the procedure. What are we going to do? How are yeah. we going to do it? So those are some things that I think uh, make a good preceptor as yeah. well. Yeah. In terms of a resident, same thing. It's yeah. just, it's one step further, right? Yeah. You know, think of it as um, sports. You've yeah. gone from AAA to the major leagues, yeah. right? So uh, again, you still have experience, yeah. but you're not fully experienced, yeah. right? There's opportunities to grow. Um, and the one thing my program director and residency always used to say was learn something you every day because yeah. when you graduate, your attendings aren't there anymore. Yeah. Right. So I think, again, as a resident, challenge yourself, challenge your peers, challenge your attendings, try and make yourself a little smarter every day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's great advice. I'm I think I remember one of my attendings said something similar and they also said, you know, and it, it stuck for me when you learn something and you can attach it to a yeah. patient it sticks so, Correct. so much better. When you're in first and second year of med school, you know, you're learning countless facts, which yeah. I probably retain 10% of right now yeah. in my head. But when you're actually in the third year of med school, which I think is probably the hardest year of medical yeah. school, and you see a patient with asthma. I remember mm -hmm. I saw a pediatric patient with asthma in Nemours. He was a really, really sick kid. And I had no idea. I just didn't remember the steps, what you're meant to do for a really sick kid with asthma. Yeah. But when I, I remember the kid's name, I'm not going to say his actual name, sure. but say John. Yeah. John, I know that I saw John. So, okay, this is what I actually have to yeah. do when a kid's sick. And I remember on my step yeah. one exam, when I saw, or step two exam, when I saw like, oh, he's been through these albuterol and the steroid. What's the next yeah. line of care? I was like, I know it because I remember John. It's huge. It really is. And I mean, the one thing is, I think, um, Again, you learn in all medical school, and the thing is, once you start your intern year, again, it's not that you learn new stuff, but you're you're processing it differently yeah. in your brain, and to to take advantage of the knowledge you have and put it into real life use. And it's the same thing when I took my my family medicine board. Yeah. You're sitting there, and you're like, oh, I remember treating Mrs. So and so when she had this. You yeah. know, like this one lady in the hospital, she um, had Lewy body dementia, yeah. and it was like, what's the treatment? I remember. Call my attending, and he's yeah. like, "Oh, and he's geriatrics, and he was like, you want to give him like mirtazapine? Yeah. That's just yeah. that's the safer one versus like Seroquel yeah. or something, um, and little things like that." So you know, you can't you can't teach experience. Yeah, yeah. What are your hopes and dreams for the future? Where do you see your career going? It's a good question. Um, right now, I'm pretty satisfied yeah. with where I'm at. So um, again, my institution has given me two sleep centers to run, yeah. which I really appreciate. Wow. Um, we have five, so I run two of them, which is pretty cool. Uh, it is, yeah. Um, they've given me some administrative opportunities, nice. which I really appreciate, which I will say the one thing about practicing outside of a city, yeah. those are things I don't think I would necessarily have gotten if I was at Jeff mm -hmm. or Penn. So there's there's opportunity to grow in that that area, right? I think um, whatever you want to do administration or not, I think all physicians should learn a little bit about it. Because mm -hmm. even if you don't want to get into it, you need to know how to interact with yeah. administrators. Yeah. Um, so I think just continue to get better as a, as a family yeah. doctor. Um, I think ultimately my long-term vision is yeah. probably 50, 50 sleep in primary yeah. care. Wow. Yeah. Um, we'll see how that shakes out over the yeah. next couple of years. Um, I don't think it'll happen over a couple of years. It's probably yeah. more over 10 years. Um, but there's a need for that. Yeah. Um, 
So that's that's kind of where I'm seeing myself right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sleep medicine's cool. How do you make that transition? I guess you just speak to management and say, "Listen, I want to do more time with sleep patients." I think it depends on the volume. Got it. I think, okay. Um, it depends on volume. I think um, the one of the sleep doctors retired recently, and that's what actually let me get into the position I'm in now. Because oh, I, um, I was doing very little sleep, but when uh -huh. he retired. The two sleep centers opened up, um, and all of his patients needed a sleep doctor. Uh -huh. um, I will say with sleep, like one in four people have insomnia at any given time. One in three Americans have sleep apnea, don't even wow. know it. So, I mean, there is so much room for it to grow, yeah. you know? So, I think the volume's there. It's about digging it out, uh, getting those patients out, and getting them yeah. checked out, and then treating them if it's appropriate. Um, the other thing I like to do, um, which I think does set me apart, and again, I think this comes down to the training I had at yeah. Jeff, because my attendings did a fantastic job at doing yeah. this as well, was taking the extra five or ten minutes, because you know what, maybe you see one or two less patients a day, but <clears throat> if you really spend the extra time talking to the patients, because listen, who wants to wear a CPAP? Nobody wants to wear a CPAP. Yeah, no. But if you explain to them up front, hey, the first two or three nights, you're going to hate me. Yeah. You're going to take that hose and <laughs> wrap it around my neck. But... um. But if you explain to them, listen, like if you got to push through, give them yeah. some pointers, just how to kind of get through it. And ultimately, if they do, there is a point like after a couple of months, like, oh, my God, I actually really like this. I feel yeah. better the next day. So I think uh, there's a ton of opportunity to grow. And for me and, and whatever your specialty yeah. is or whatever you want to do in life, yeah. if you are able to show your higher ups that you have volume to justify whatever you wanted to do, I think yeah. that'll help. Yeah, and this is, I think this is a really good point because it's something I'm hearing from all the physicians I'm talking to because, again, it's one of the reasons I do this podcast. Yeah. When I came into med school, yeah. I think all physicians are 100% clinicians. Yeah. OR doctors are only in the operating yeah. room. I didn't even think they go to clinic or yeah. anything like that and talk to patients. Family medicine doctors are only in the outpatient yeah. office. Uh, ophthalmologists are only looking through the eye thing <laughs> and that's it. And there's no cornea. I don't even know what a cornea is. Yeah, things like this. I hear you. So you can actually advocate for yourself, what we were saying before, and you can split up your schedule. I know people do teaching. Yeah. Some people do do yeah. administration mm -hmm. things, research. Yeah. There's so many opportunities really for are. you, once, especially once you become an attending. There really are. And again, I think what it comes down to is whatever you want to do, if you yeah. justify with your performance, yeah. nobody's going to question you. If you say you want to do research and you don't put anything out there, they're not going to let you do <laughs> yeah. research indefinitely. But if you're putting out case reports, posters, papers, um, justifying the t why you're taking away from clinical time, yeah. they'll give you the opportunity. Yeah. If you want to get into administration, if you're able to make change that's um, ad you know, advocating for patients, improving patient care, quality access, um, bottom line for the hospital, yeah. people are going to let you get into it, right? So it really comes down to whatever you're going to do, make the effort and show results. Yeah, no, that's that's hugely helpful. And and think about maybe one or two steps ahead. I I don't like to say, I, I scare myself yeah. when I say this because we're in the <laughs> classic trap of doing, you know, and especially in under, in, as med students, as us, as people, yeah. we're thinking about, okay, I just got to get through residency. Yeah. I just got to get through residency to become an attending. Okay, yeah. I just want to get through this lower stage of being an attending <laughs> so I can be a higher stage of being yeah. an attending and doing it. But really, you can change your life around mm -hmm. and do kind of what you want to do. So let's go back to family medicine. Please. If I'm a second or third year medical student and I like family medicine, but I'm not really sure about it. Is there any things I should think about? Is there anything I should do to help me make that decision of family medicine or not? I think a big thing for a lot of people is they, a lot of people go into internal medicine thinking it's because I'm going to be a cardiologist. Yeah. And I think the one thing I tell pay, students is that's great. Obviously yeah. you can't do cardiology if you're a family doctor, yeah. but 
understand if you don't get into a fellowship, are you yeah. okay being an internal medicine doctor, yeah. not doing much yeah. women's health, not seeing pediatrics? And if you are, that's fine. Go yeah. into it. Um, but why family medicine? Again, it really comes down to what do you want? I mean, again, I, I go back to my one friend or a bunch of friends in, in medical school. Like, well, family medicine is boring. I'm like, dude, you want to be a surgeon? Yeah. You're going to cut out gallbladders, appendixes, fix some hernias, a breast biopsy here and there. Uh, and I'm not trying to minimize what they yeah, do. No. But it, it was more so that, again, I think at the end of the day, family medicine, you can honestly do more than any other field of medicine. Yeah. You really can. Yeah. Um, is it going to pay as well as a dermatologist? No, yeah. it's not. I yeah. think you have to understand and accept that. I do think, like we talked about earlier, I think over the next 5, 10, 15 years, we'll see primary care salaries rise yeah. probably higher than other fields. Yeah. And they, I think ultimately the industry has to go that way yeah. to recruit quality people, yeah. right? I mean, and I understand why people want to go to radiology, anesthesia, dermatology, because if you're coming out two, three, four hundred $400,000 student yeah. loans, Making hundred thousand dollars a year yeah. extra is going to help you pay that off faster, um, but ultimately it comes down to really what do you want to do. Yeah. And I, I always say at the end of the day, you really should pick the specialty or the field that you enjoy, and not necessarily based on what the income is. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you're whatever and you really hate it, yeah, and you not, did it because you're making an extra. What amount of money is worth exactly. not being happy, right? Exactly. It's not, exactly. It's not so say, let's talk about the other students, the students who are gung-ho. They know family medicine is for them. They want to do it 100%, yeah. kind of like you, yeah. going through medical school. How can I make myself, if I'm a medical student, interested in family medicine, the most competitive applicant, the most best prepared to kind of match at my dream institution and be the best resident when I get there? I think what people should do is, I mean, number one, crush your, your rotation. Yeah. Get a great letter. Yeah. Get a great letter. If you're a great student, we're not going to give you a cookie cutter letter. Yeah. We're going to be like, listen, Joe did this yeah. and he was so exceptional and give examples or whatever. I think what helps is go to conferences. Yeah. And I think this also bodes for whatever specialty you want to go yeah. into. But use the example of family medicine. AAFP is our major governing body. They have a conference in Kansas City every year. And I know my program director goes there um, from residency. I know Bay Health, their people go there. So... It gives you an opportunity to network, go meet yeah. program directors, and people remember that. Yeah. You know, they remember patient, you know people that come up to them, speak to them. Uh -huh. So um, that def it. Uh, definitely helps. Yeah. It definitely does. Um, I know this person didn't match a Drexel, yeah. uh, but I do know they got an interview just because they yeah. they happened to meet our, our chiefs that were uh -huh. down there, right? And they're like, "Oh yeah, let's." Uh, we remember so and so, and they you know they got the foot in the door, right? Yeah. I think um, whenever you're on the interview trail, I mean, remember, don't get too cozy. It's, it is an interview, even if you're up for dinner with the residents the night before. Uh, it is a job interview yeah. at the end of the day. It really is, yeah. right? I always say if you get an interview, you have a chance. Yeah. Even if you're like, man, I can't believe I had an interview. If you got an interview there, you have a fighting chance. Yeah. And ultimately what it comes down to is when you are being interviewed, they want to know, do we want to work with this person in the next yeah. two, three, four, five years? Yeah. So um, those are the little things you can do to kind of set yourself up compared to other people. Um, you know, thank you letters after your interviews obviously go a long way. Um, don't make them too generic. But I mean, you know, follow-up emails. Um, if your program you interview with has like a second look, mm -hmm. If you can make it go down, obviously yeah. it's not always uh, possible. If you're yeah. if you're a student in the Midwest and you uh, your heart set on this hospital yeah. in Florida, it may not be possible to go yeah. back for every second week in February. But I think if you can't go back, definitely communicate that with the coordinator, with the program director. Yeah. That definitely helps. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. To take a step back, general lifestyle of being a doctor, of being a, a physician is not the easiest thing in the world. Going through it, 
Do you have any advice for people that are just at the beginning of their career in medicine? And this could be anything. This could be lifestyle. This could be finances. This could be relationships. This could be, you know, don't pick up tackle football at the age of 32, (laughs) anything. Yeah. I think um, one thing that all of us should do, especially if you're still in training, get your disability insurance. Got it. Your rates shoot up the second you turn into an attending. Um, That's one thing. I, I remember I locked it in during my fellowship year. And a friend of mine did not, and uh, their rates like like an extra fifteen hundred dollars a year, which adds up, right? Jeez, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's just that. And again, for yeah. wherever you get into, I think understand that wherever you go, it's going to be different than where you came from. Yeah. It's you know you practice residency three, four, five years. And it's usually pretty, you know, the culture is the same. You go somewhere else, the culture is not going to be the same, right? Yeah. It could be better, it could be worse, it could be the same, but not quite the same. Um, understand that you're going to have to adapt to wherever you go. Um, if you take over somebody's panel, whatever you are, cardiologist, yeah. family medicine, pediatric, people are not going to look at you the same. I understand that's okay. Um, I think that was something that kind of bothered me initially. Mm. Um, but understand that that's okay. And if patients don't like it, there's other doctors, right? Um, I think you need to advocate for yourself. Like I said earlier, understand that, um, take time for yourself, exercise, spend time with loved ones. Um, burnout's real, but those are things you can do to kind of help reduce that. Yeah. No, that's great. And then on the other side of thing, have you seen, and this could be personal mistakes. Have you seen, per, have you had personal mistakes that you, you know, want to educate the public about, yeah. you know, don't make these mistakes? Or have you seen colleagues or fellow residents or interns or medical students make kind of maybe minor, maybe major mistakes that you wish kind of more people would know about and be ready yeah. for and wary for? I think not utilizing your staff. Got it. Trying to take too much on your, you know, too much on your own plate. That's probably a big one. Yeah. Um, understand that, again, you have medical assistants, front staff, yeah. you might have NPs, you have pharmacists in the hospital, utilize them. Yeah. Right? If you don't, and plus, if you don't utilize them, then the administration's like, well, why are they here, right? <laughs> so, use them. Uh, they're great resources for yeah. us and our patients. Um, that's probably a big one there. No, that's a great tip. Yeah. And then, the to get back to positive, are there anything... Any colleagues, any supervisors, any mentors, any attendings, uh, any residents, any students that you admire? And are there, and don't obviously have to say the names or anything like that, but characteristics, things they do, people you look up to and like kind of people you aspire to be like, like what do they do? I think, um, I mean, there's a couple of people in my hospital, yeah. and we actually have a mentor-mentee program, oh, that's right? Nice. So they what they 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 try and do is yeah. match up uh, physicians who've been there for five years yeah. or longer with at least a couple of um, attendings who've been yeah. practicing less than five years. So I mean, my my mentor has been instrumental in yeah. kind of helping shape me, getting me involved with some of the administration stuff. Wow. I think what I appreciate about the way she practices, uh, maybe not practice, because I don't see how she practices yeah. on a day-to-day basis, but just the interaction with other, other providers, other clinicians, um, making sure that uh, they've got the tools they need to succeed, mm-hmm. uh, taking the time out of her patient, her busy panel mm-hmm. to follow up, making yeah. sure that your partners, your colleagues are up to speed in whatever it is they got to do. So I think that usually helps. Yeah. Um, for the most part, trying to have a positive outlook helps because yeah. if you're negative, you're sulking all day. That's yeah. not very good either. No, because no? nobody wants to associate no. with that, right? Which is big. Um, but yeah, those are probably the big things there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. that's that's really great. And we're coming close to the end okay. here. So 
Are there any tips? Well, I have two closing questions. I have one which is just closing in general, and then I have one for people who are interested in family medicine. Because I think the major- a lot of people who watch this are yeah. students that are interested Absolutely. in family medicine. Do you have any closing words for those, the medical students who are interested in having a career in family medicine? Absolutely. Family medicine is awesome. It yeah. really is. Again, you could give me a million dollars to— and Well, maybe not a million. If, if, it, if pay was the same, I would still do family medicine. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it is rewarding. It really, really is. Um, I would not change the specialty I went into. And again, I think, you know, whatever your specialty is, you do family and palliative, yeah. family and sports, and you could do 50, 50, 80, 20, whatever yeah. you prefer. There is flexibility with that. It's incredibly rewarding. It's only going to get better, I think, yeah. because I think reimbursement will go up. Mm-hmm. And that's a big factor for yeah. students, right? No, it's yeah. reimbursement. It really is. So it is a fulfilling process profession um and it just again it's the best yeah it it's really the is best. yeah and then generally a close any closing statement any closing words this could be anything i know you're a big sports fan yeah. do you have, you could you could shout out your teams you could do whatever you want say anything to the people go birds go, go eagles. birds go eagles that's a great <laughs> that's a great one to end on they're looking good yeah they're, they're, i mean yeah. what is it Wait, it's, this was this is going to go live in a while but it's yeah. december now of 2022 10 it's and crazy. one 10 that's crazy yeah they're looking good yeah. They're looking good. I, uh, I'm i looking forward to see the next few weeks how they how plays out. It's going to yeah. be exciting. Who knows? Maybe we'll be on Broad Street again. There you go, right? <laughs> well, Dr. Soroy, thank you of so course. much for coming in. This was amazing. And I think it's been really helpful, especially people interested in family medicine. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Perfect. Awesome. Fantastic.